Don't touch that dial. It's the American Grooves Radio Hour with your host, Joe Laura. Ellington and his orchestra in 1929, Friesen Melt, featuring the great Wellman Broad on bass, slapping that bass fiddle. He's featured on this track. It's unusual to have bass solos all over a recording like that. They didn't do it too much back then. And because of the invention of the microphone and its use in music, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, that made all of that possible. Also from New Orleans uh, is the Sam Morgan Jazz Band featuring Sidney Brown on bass, and they're playing the Boogaloosa Strut, recorded in that city in 1928. <laughs> 
Sam Morgan's Jazz Band, 1928. A field trip that Columbia Records made to New Orleans to record whatever sang and whatever danced. <laughs> That's how they used to do it back then. There was no studio in New Orleans until about 1946. Uh, so back then, the record companies would go to towns that they felt had worthy musicians. They'd set up in a hotel or a ballroom and they record the local talent. And that was the Sam Morgan band. They found a good one. That's for sure. Now, um, in Detroit, there was a band called the Gene Colquett Orchestra, and it became famous around 1927 because it became the first national band that featured Bix Spiderback. But prior to that, around 1925, October, they made a very early electrical recording. What that means is prior to mid-1925, all records were made by the singer or the musician basically barking into a horn and no dynamics with a horn you could it didn't pick up the bass so the bass was really regulated to the scrap pile they even if they recorded a bass you couldn't hear it but in 25 when the microphone became the device that was used to record music, it just opened up a sonic world. It made everything sound real rather than kind of tinny. And, you know, basically old records have a bad reputation of sounding very tinny. But when the microphone came into play, it just changed the entire thing. It opened up everything. It allowed the record companies to record instruments that just simply weren't recordable uh, with any success, including the piano. Uh, very few solo piano records in the acoustic era. Uh, but when the electric era came, electric meaning when they started recording electrically using the microphone, it just opened up the world. And this recording uh, of Dinah by the Gene Golkett Orchestra is really interesting because it's the first session that used the electric system and you really hear the bass. And they had an amazing bass player. His name was Steve Brown, no relation to Sidney Brown, but um, Steve was from Detroit and he stayed with the band quite some time moved on to the Paul Whiteman Orchestra around 28. But here he is slapping the bass fiddle on Dinah.
Orchestra Antilles, recorded in Paris, France, October 16th, 1929. This group um, uh, were residents at the Bal Negre nightclub in Paris, which featured entertainment from Martinique. Oh, there the music really wasn't jazz. It was clearly related and drew from the pool of Creole and Caribbean styles that inspired New Orleans music. Photos of the band at the time, I've seen one actually, uh, shows the bass player, Victor Collat, holding a cello. But clearly he is playing a bass fiddle on this track. Oftentimes uh, the cello was used as a bass instrument, bowed or plucked. But this is a bass fiddle and uh, used to a great effect in this wonderful recording. Thelma Terry led a popular dance band in Chicago in the mid to late 1920s. She was born in Michigan and grew up in Chicago where she attended the Austin High School. And a lot of musicians came out of that school. They, they called them the Austin High Gang. People like Bud Freeman, Gene Krupa, who are actually both in this band uh, at various times. Krupa is on this recording you're going to hear. But anyway, so Terry was the bass player, and the band was more of a dance band, but it really is a swinging great group. I think Krupa being the drummer probably helped quite a bit. And the band lasted till 1929 when it broke up, basically because there were discipline problems that which made her decide to break the band up. Anyway, her bass playing is just very precise, very stylistic, and really drives the band. So here's Thelma Terry and her orchestra, 1929, Sound of the Southland.
we're going to feature a couple of tunes uh, on the show this week uh, by Bill Johnson, who was probably the oldest jazz musician to record. He was born in the 1870s. I, I think the year cited is 1872. He was born in Alabama and wound up on the West Coast, uh, San Francisco area, 1908, with a bunch of other New Orleans musicians, and then wound up back in New Orleans where he was one of the members of the Creole Band, which featured the great Freddie Keppard. And, you know, Bill, Bill Johnson started off as a guitar player, played in string bands, uh, moved over to the bass fiddle, and um, really didn't record till about 1928, even though he had been active since the very first years of the uh, 20th century. Here he is with a group called the Midnight Ramblers doing, doing a tune called the Bull Fiddle Rag.
Jimmy Rogers in 1928, recorded in Atlanta, Georgia. The bass player on this side, waiting for a train, is George McMillan. McMillan was likely a Georgia, Atlanta area musician. These are the only recorded sides I am aware of, and I, I searched pretty hard. I couldn't find his presence on any other record in any of the discographies. But that's not unusual. Making a record at the time was not something that everyone had a chance to do. The interesting thing about this recording is the engineers in the makeshift studio they set up in Atlanta over-recorded the bass. Now, when you played these phonograph records back, you basically were using a steel needle, almost like a hammer and a nail to play it back. And if the bass signal was over-recorded, that meant that it kind of stressed the groove. And so when you played the record, the first thing that would get distorted from the steel needle was the over-recorded bass. So most copies of this record really sound kind of like during the lowest notes of the over-recorded bass. This version, which I got from a friend of mine's transfer, Mr. Rich Nevins from Shanakee Entertainment, he did a great job. He must have had a pristine copy of it. Anyway, George McMillan in 1928. Who he? That was him. We're going to move on now to uh, a group that made one record uh, in Texas, and also in 1928, Frenchie's String Band. 
Now, these were a trio of New Orleans musicians. Old school, the bass player here, who is also playing the stand-up bass, Bode again, is uh, a fellow by the name of um, Octave Gaspard, better known as Tom. He was born literally in the early 1870s and played in the earliest jazz bands in New Orleans, including the Piron Band and the Robichaud Band. And this little band, uh, you know, is pretty indicative of what a street band sounded like at the time. And they're playing something on the record called Texas and Pacific Blues. It's really the Midnight Special or Tuwa Bakawa or Your Bucket's Got a Hole in It. It's a, it's a melody that was used in early jazz numerous times. In fact, my band just recorded a version of it. So it's still around, folks. Here they are, Frenchie's String Band. <laughs> Thank you. 
Texas and Pacific Blues by Frenchie's String Band, their only recording. We're going to head a little bit uptown and up north for this next one. The great Fletcher Henderson's band was one of the top bands working in New York, Harlem, Savoy Ballroom, everywhere. I mean, the band began in the early 20s, and many great jazz musicians were in and out of the lineup, including, uh, famously, Louis Armstrong, 1924-25, before he went off on his own. But in 1930, the Henderson Band was still going strong. Coleman Hawkins had been in the band almost 10 years by then. Well, certainly eight years. And um, Benny Carter was in the band. And this recording, made in 1930, features John Kirby on bass. He was with the band for five or six years. He was from West Virginia. He was orphaned as a child. I believe he was born in 1908 and had a fairly prestigious run as a top New York area bass player. He passed away in 1952. But here's a great example, well recorded, of John Kirby's bass playing with the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra on Chinatown, My Chinatown.
John Kirby with the great Fletcher Henderson band to use my favorite Dr. John one-word review, slamming. And that was slamming, all right. It was also slapping. Kirby with Henderson. What a band. They went on and on to the late 1930s. Uh, Fletcher Henderson later on became uh, a companist for Ethel Waters, and he passed away in 1949, working with Waters for about four or five years. There's even some footage of him playing on the Ed Sullivan show that was recently discovered. And whatever, I'm losing track here. Bass, bass. Now we're going to move to Philadelphia. And we're not even going to have a bass player now. What we're going to listen to is an African-American string band recorded by RCA Victor in 1927. This little raggy, kind of ragamuffin-y type band played on the streets of Philly for a while and actually made some pretty memorable records for Victor and a few other labels at the time, say 1927, 28, like that. Their cellist on this tune, I would say he makes up in enthusiasm what he lacks in technique, uh, plays a bowed solo. The tune is called The Washboard Cutout. It's really Black Bottom Stomp, which was recorded a little earlier that year by Jelly Roll Morton. Anyway, here is Bobby Lee Ken's Need More Band.
Russell Orchestra in 1930 with the great Pops Foster on bass. The BAM was a group of New Orleans expatriates who were working in Harlem at the time, but they all, pretty much every single member of the BAM was from New Orleans, including Pops Foster, Louis Russell uh, as well, pianist um, Henry Allen, the great Henry Allen on trumpet, And Pops Foster had a long career. He went on into the 1960s, born in 1892. And he is on many, many recordings from the period, but the Lewis Russell Band was his main gig for probably five or six years. The tune Pops is playing on here uh, is called Poor Little Me. And as you hear, he's bowing throughout. Tampa Red was a sly guitarist, working in the Chicago area for many years. And he led a band called Tampa Red's Hokum Jug Band. And in this particular recording, we're going to hear Bill Johnson again playing the bass fiddle. 
here uh, in 1929. It's sad about Johnson. As I said earlier in the show, he was born in the 1870s and actually lived to the 1970s. And during the years in the 60s and early 70s, there was so much research going on about jazz and jazz musicians and these early recordings, and nobody knew that he was still around. It's just really unfortunate that nobody got to him and were, was able to get his memories onto tape. He, he died in a nursing home in 1972 in Chicago, and right under the nose of so many people that were working around that time researching this great music. But anyway, this recording features the vocalist Frankie Halfpint Jackson. He was known as a female impersonator and kind of a hokum blues specialist. Again, here they are with Bill Johnson on bass, Tampa Red's hokum jug band. No jug, by the way. Didn't matter back then. They weren't so detail-oriented. But there is quite a bass on it. Come on, mama, and do that dance. Do that dance, oh do that dance. Come on, mama, do that dance for me. Come on, let me know who you are. Do that dance, cause it don't belong. Come on, gal, do that dance for me. Do the Mississippi and the Mobile Bay. Turn right around, go the other way. Come on, mama, do that dance for me. Oh, do that dance. Oh, do that. Come on, mama, do that dance for me. Do that dance. Come on,
Resisted, folks. That was yet another Bill Johnson recording, this time under his own name, Bill Johnson's Louisiana Jug Band. Again, a jug band minus the jug. But I guess the sound of that dominantly recorded bass fiddle was enough. Slapping away with everyone yelling and shouting, Frankie Halfpint Jackson again on this track. Um, notable is Georgia Tom, who was the blues moniker of Thomas A. Dorsey, who in the 20s was a very successful blues songwriter and was employed by the Paramount uh, record label and lots of other record labels um, in Chicago. After 28, Johnson really partnered with Tampa Red uh, as a member of the famous Hokum Boys, and here with Bill Johnson, they, you know, they recorded under many different names. But importantly, uh, Thomas Dorsey, Georgia Tom, Thomas A. Dorsey is really his name. He kind of left the blues world in 1930 and became one of the most celebrated gospel songwriters. He wrote Peace in the Valley, Precious Lord, uh, and lots of other great tunes. In fact, they made a movie about him in the 1980s called Say Amen Somebody. That's 
Georgia Tom, Thomas A. Dorsey playing the piano on that track. Well, folks, I, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of American Grooves Radio, where I am indulging myself and hopefully you with some of the great bass players of the 1920s and early 1930s, sitting around and playing them off of 78 RPM records in my collection as what our show is all about, American Grooves Radio. We're here every Sunday night playing some of these deep tracks for you. Don't know what we're going to do next week, but just tune in and hopefully uh, we'll have some great surprises for you. I'm going to be bringing some guests onto the show uh, in the next couple of weeks, some noted record collectors and musicians such as Rich Nevins from Shanakee Entertainment, my record hunting partner, Russ Shore, uh, who is one of the great early blues um, collectors who lives out in California, has agreed to be on the show. And, you know, we hope you tune in. We're here on WLIW 88.3 every Sunday. And so until next time, we'll hear you then. Good night, folks.